Story 6 of Retief, Intergalactic Diplomat in Space, Ed Reed Short Sci-Fi, Volume 5, The Frozen Planet by Keith Lammer, Part 1. It is rather unusual, Magnan said, to assign an officer of your rank to courier duty, but this is an unusual mission. Retief sat relaxed and said nothing. Just before the silence grew awkward, Magnan went on. There are four planets in the group, he said. Two double planets, all rather close to an important star listed as DRIG 33987. They're called Jorgensen's Worlds, and in themselves are of no importance whatever. However, they lie deep in the sector into which the Soweti have been penetrating. Now, Magnan leaned forward and lowered his voice, we have learned that the Soweti plan a bold step forward. Since they have met no opposition so far in the infiltration of terrestrial space, they intend to seize Jorgensen's worlds by force. Magnan leaned back, waiting for Retief's reaction. Retief drew carefully on his cigar and looked at Magnan. Magnan frowned. This is open aggression, Retief, he said, in case I haven't made myself clear. Aggression on terrestrial-occupied territory by an alien species. Obviously, we can't allow it. Magnan drew a large folder from his desk. A show of resistance at this point is necessary. Unfortunately, Jorgensen's worlds are technologically undeveloped areas. They're farmers or traders. Their industry is limited to a minor role in their economy. Enough to support the merchant fleet, no more. The war potential, by conventional standards, is nil. Magnan tapped the folder before him. I have here, he said suddenly, information which will change that picture completely. He leaned back and blinked at Retief. All right, Mr. Counselor, Retief said. I'll play along. What's in the folder? Magnan spread his fingers, folded one down. First, he said, the Soweti war plan, in detail. We were fortunate enough to make contact with a defector from a party of renegade terrestrials who'd been advising the Soweti. He folded another finger. Next, a battle plan for the Jorgensen's people, worked out by the theory group. He wrestled a third finger down. Lastly, an utter top-secret schematic for conversion of a standard anti-acceleration field into a potent weapon, a development our systems people have been holding in reserve for just such a situation. Is that all? Retief said. You've still got two fingers sticking up. Magnan looked at the fingers and put them away. This is no occasion for flippancy, Retief. In the wrong hands, this information could be catastrophic. You'll memorize it before you leave this building. I'll carry it sealed, Retief said. That way nobody can sweat it out of me. Magnan started to shake his head. Well, he said, if it's trapped for destruction, I suppose. I've heard of these Jorgensen's worlds, Retief said. I remember an agent, a big blonde fellow, very quick on the uptake. A wizard with cards and dice. Never played for money, though. Um, Magnan said, don't make the error of personalizing this situation, Retief. Overall policy calls for defense of these backwater worlds. Otherwise, the core would allow history to follow its natural course as always. When does this attack happen? Less than four weeks. That doesn't leave you much time. I have your itinerary here. Your accommodations are clear as far as Aldo Cerise. You'll have to rely on your ingenuity to get you the rest of the way. It's a pretty rough trip, Mr. Counselor. Suppose I don't make it. Magnan looked sour. Someone at a policy-making level has chosen to put all our eggs in one basket, Retief. I hope that confidence in you is not misplaced. This Antiac conversion, how long does it take? A skilled electronics crew can do the job in a matter of minutes, so Jorgensen can handle it very nicely. Every other man is a mechanic of some sort. 
Reeseef opened the envelope Magnan handed him and looked at the tickets inside. Less than four hours to departure time, he said. I'd better not start any long books. You'd better waste no time getting over to indoctrination, Magnan said. Reeseef stood up. If I hurry, maybe I can catch the cartoon. The illusion escapes me, Magnan said coldly. And one last word. The Soweti are patrolling the trade lanes into Jorgensen's worlds. Don't get yourself interned. I'll tell you what, Reeseef said soberly. In a pinch, I'll mention your name. You'll be travelling with Class X credentials, Magnan snapped. There must be nothing to connect you with the Corps. I'll never guess, Reeseef said. I'll pose as a gentleman. You'd better be getting started, Magnan said, shuffling papers. You're right, Reeseef said. If I work at it, I might manage a snootful by takeoff. He went to the door. No objection to my checking out a needler, is there? Magnan looked up. I suppose not. What you want is it? Just a feeling I've got. Please yourself. Some day, Reeteef said, I may take you up on that. Chapter 2 Reeteef put down the heavy travel-battered suitcase and leaned on the counter, studying the schedules chalked on the board under the legend Aldo Cerise Interplanetary. A thin clerk in a faded sequined blouse and a plastic snake-skinned cummerbund groomed his fingernails, watching Reeteef from the corner of his eye. Reeteef glanced at him. The clerk nipped off a ragged corner with rabbit-like front teeth and spat it on the floor. "'Was there something?' he said. "'228 due out today for the Jorgensen Group,' Reeteef said. "'Is it on schedule?' The clerk sampled the inside of his right cheek, eyed Reeteef. "'Filled up. Try again in a couple of weeks.' "'What time does it leave?' "'I don't think. Let's stick to facts,' Reeteef said. "'Don't try to think. What time is it due out?' The clerk smiled pityingly. "'It's my lunch hour.' he said. I'll be open in an hour. He held up a thumbnail, frowned at it. If we have to come around this counter, Reedy said, I'll feed that thumb to you the hard way. The clerk looked up and opened his mouth. Then he caught Reedy's eye, closed his mouth, and swallowed. Like it says there, he said, jerking a thumb at the board. Lifts in an hour. You won't be on it, he added. Reedy looked at him. Some uh, VIPs required accommodation, he said. He hooked a finger inside the sequin collar. All tourist reservations were cancelled. We'll have to try to get space on the four-planet line ship next. Which gate, Reeteef said. For, uh... For the 228 for Jorgensen's Wells, Reeteef said. Well, the clerk said. Gate 19, he added quickly. But Reeteef picked up his suitcase and walked away toward the glare sign reading to gates 16 to 30. Another smart Alec, the clerk said behind him. Reeteef followed the signs threaded his way through crowds, found a covered ramp with the number 228 posted over it. A heavy-shouldered man with a scarred jawline and small eyes was slouching there in a rumpled grey uniform. He put out a hand as Reeteef started past him. "'I see your boarding pass,' he muttered. Reeteef pulled a paper from an inside pocket, handed it over. The guard blinked at it. "'What's that?' "'A gram confirming my space,' Reeteef said. "'Your boy on the counter says he's out to lunch.' The guard crumpled the gram, dropped it on the floor and lounged back against the handrail. On your way, bub, he said. Reeteef put his suitcase carefully on the floor, took a step and drove a right into the guard's midriff. He stepped aside as the man doubled and went to his knees. You're wide open, ugly. I couldn't resist. Tell your boss I sneaked past while you were resting your eyes. He picked up his bag, stepped over the man, and went up the gangway into the ship. A cabin boy in stained whites came along the corridor. Which way to cabin 57, son? Reeteef asked. Out there, the boy jerked his head and hurried on. Reeteef made his way along the narrow hall, 
found signs, followed them to cabin 57. The door was open. Inside, baggage was piled in the centre of the floor. It was expensive-looking baggage. Retief put his bag down. He turned at a sound behind him. A tall, florid man with an expensive coat, belted over a massive paunch, stood in the open door, looking at Retief. Retief looked back. The florid man clamped his jaws together and turned to speak over his shoulder. Somebody in a cabin. Get him out. He rolled a cold eye at Retief as he backed out of the room. A short, thick-necked man appeared. What are you doing in Mr. Tony's room? He barked. Never mind. Clear out of here, fella. It's keeping Mr. Tony waiting. Too bad, Retief said. Find his keepers. You nuts? The thick man stared at Retief. I said it's Mr. Tony's room. I don't know, Mr. Tony. He'll have to bull his way into other quarters. We'll see about you, mister. The man turned and went out. Retief sat on the bunk and lit a cigar. There was a sound of voices in the corridor. Two burly baggage smashers appeared, straining at an oversized trunk. They manoeuvred it through the door, lowered it, glanced at Retief and went out. The thick-necked man returned. What you at? He growled. What have I got to have you thrown at? Retief rose and clamped the cigar between his teeth. He gripped the handle of the brass-bound trunk in each hand, bent his knees and heaved the trunk up to chest level, then raised it overhead. He turned to the door. Catch, he said between clenched teeth. The trunk slammed against the far wall of the corridor and burst. Retief turned to the baggage on the floor, tossed it into the hall. The face of the thick-necked man appeared cautiously around the door jamb. Mister, you must be— If you'll excuse me, Retief said. I want to catch a nap. He flipped the door shut, pulled off his shoes, and stretched out on the bed. Five minutes passed before the door rattled and burst open. Retief looked up. A gaunt, leathery-skinned man wearing white ducks, a blue turtle-necked sweater, and a peaked cap, tilted raffishly over one eye, stared at Retief. "'Is this the Joker?' he grated. The thick-necked man edged past him, looked at Retief, and snorted. "'That's him, sure.' "'I'm captain of this vessel,' the first man said. "'You've got two minutes to haul your freight out of here, buster.' "'When you can spare the time from your other duties,' Retief said, "'take a look at Section 3, Paragraph 1 of the Uniform Code. "'That spells out the law on confirmed space on vessels engaged in interplanetary commerce.' "'A space lawyer,' the captain turned. "'Throw him out, boys.' Two big men edged into the cabin, looking at Retief. "'Go on, pitch him out,' the captain snapped. Retief put his cigar in an ashtray and swung his feet off the bunk. "'Don't try it,' he said softly. One of the two wiped his nose on a sleeve, spat on his right palm, and stepped forward, then hesitated. Aye, he said. It's a guy tossed a trunk off the wall. Yes, him, the thick-necked man called. Spilled Mr. Tony's possessions right on the deck. Down me out, Bouncer said. He can stay put as long as he wants to. I signed on to move cargo. Let's go, Mo. You'd better be getting back to the bridge, Captain, Retief said. We're due to lift in twenty minutes. The thick-necked man and the captain both shouted at once. The captain's voice prevailed. Twenty minutes! Uniform code! Gotta do? Close the door as you leave, Retief said. The thick-necked man paused at the door. We'll see you when you come out. Chapter 3 Four waiters passed Retief's table without stopping. A fifth leaned against the wall nearby, a menu under his arm. At a table across the room, the captain, now wearing a dress uniform and with his thin red hair neatly parted, sat with a table of male passengers. He talked loudly and laughed frequently, casting occasional glances Retief's way. A panel opened in the wall behind Retief's chair. 
bright blue eyes peered out from under a white chef's cap. Give me the cold shoulder, eh, mister? Looks like it, old-timer, Weetie said. Maybe I'd better go join the skipper. This party seems to be having all the fun. Feller has to be mighty careless or he eats with to set over there. I see your point. You set right where you are, mister. I'll rustle you up a plate. Five minutes later, Retief cut into a 32-ounce Delmonico backed up with mushrooms and garlic butter. I'm Chip, the chef said. I don't like the captain. You can tell him I said so. Don't like his friends either. Don't like them damn sweaties. Look at a man like he's a worm. You've got the right idea on frying a steak, Chip, and you've got the right idea on sweaty, too, Retief said. He poured red wine into a glass. Here's to you. Don't white, Chip said. Don't know whoever thought up boiling him. Steak says. I've got a baked Alaska coming up in here for dessert. You like brandy in your coffee? Chip, you're a genius. Like to see a fella eat, Chip said. I've got to go now. If you need anything, holler. Retief ate slowly. Time always dragged on shipboard. Four days to Jorgensen's worlds. Then, if Magnan's information was correct, there would be four days to prepare for the Soweti attack. It was a temptation to scan the tapes built into the handle of his suitcase. It would be good to know what Jorgensen's worlds would be up against. Retief finished the steak, and the chef passed out the baked Alaska and coffee. Most of the other passengers had left the dining room. Mr. Tony and his retainers still sat at the captain's table. As Retief watched, four men arose from the table and sauntered across the room. The first in line, a stony-faced thug with a broken ear, took a cigar from his mouth as he reached the table. He dipped the lighted end in Retief's coffee, looked at it, and dropped it on the tablecloth. The others came up, Mr. Tony trailing. "'You must want to get the Jorgensen's pretty bad,' the thug said in a grating voice. "'What's your game, heck?' Retief looked at the coffee cup, picked it up. "'I don't think I want my coffee,' he said. He looked at the thug. "'You drink it.' The thug squinted at Retief. "'A wise heck,' he began. With a flick of the wrist, Retief tossed the coffee into the thug's face, then stood and slammed a straight right to the chin. The thug went down. Retief looked at Mr. Tony, still standing open-mouthed. "'You can take your playmates away now, Tony,' he said, "'and don't bother to come around yourself.' You're not funny enough. Mr. Tony found his voice. Take him, marbles, he growled. The thick-necked man slipped a hand inside his tunic and brought out a long-bladed knife. He licked his lips and moved in. Retief heard the panel open beside him. Here you go, mister, Chip said. Retief darted a glance. A well-honed French knife lay on the cell. Thanks, Chip, Retief said. I won't need it for these punks. Thick-neck lunged and Retief hit him square in the face, knocking him under the table. The other man stepped back, fumbling a power pistol from his shoulder holster. Aim that at me and I'll kill you, Retief said. Go on, burn him, Mr. Tony shouted. Behind him, the captain appeared, white-faced. Put that away, you, he yelled. What kind of... Shut up, Mr. Tony said. Put it away, honey. We'll fix this bum later. Not on this vessel, you worked, the captain said shakily. I got my charter to consider. Ram your charter, honey said harshly. You won't be needing it long. Put in your floppy mouth, damn you. Mr. Tony snapped. He looked at the man on the floor. Get marbles out of here, or to dump the slob. He turned and walked away. The captain signaled and two waiters came up. Retief watched as they carted the casualty from the dining room. The panel opened. I used to be about your size when I was your age, Chip said. You handled them pansies right. I wouldn't give them the time of day. How about a fresh cup of coffee, Chip? Retief said. Sure, mister. Anything else? I'll think of something, Retief said. 
This is shaping up into one of those long days. I don't like me bringing your meals to you in your cabin, Chip said, but the captain knows I'm the best cook in the merchant service. They won't mess with me. What has Mr. Tony got on the captain, Chip? Retief asked. They're in some kind of crooked business together. You want some more smoked turkey? Sure. What have they got against my going to Jorgensen's Worlds? Don't know. Hasn't been no tourist got in there for six or eight months. I sure like a fellow that can put it away. I was a big eater when I was your age. I bet you can still handle it, old timer. What are Jorgensen's Worlds like? One of them's cold as hell and three of them's colder. Most of the Yorgis live on Svea. That's the least frozen up. Man don't enjoy eating his own cooking like he does somebody else's. That's why I'm lucky, Chip. What kind of cargo has the captain got aboard for Jorgensen's? Don't if I know. In and out of there like a grasshopper every few weeks. Don't never pick up no cargo. No tourists anymore, like that says. Don't know what we're even running there for. Where are the passengers we have aboard headed? To Alabaster. It's nine days run in sector from Jorgensen's. You ain't got another one of them cigars, have you? Have one, Chip. I guess I was lucky to get space on this ship. Plenty of space, mister. We got a dozen empty cabins. Chip puffed the cigar alight, then cleared away the dishes, poured out coffee and brandy. Them sweaties is what I don't like, he said. Retief looked at him questioningly. You've never seen a sweaty? Ugly-looking devil, skinny legs like a lobster, big chest, shaped like the top of a turnip, rubbery-looking head. You can see the pulse beat when they get riled. I've never had the pleasure, Retief said. You'll probably have it pretty soon. Them devils bore us nigh ever trip out. Act like there was a customs patrol or something. There was a distant clang and a faint tremor ran through the floor. I ain't superstitious nor nothing, but I'll be trickled damned if that ain't them boarding us now. Ten minutes passed before bootsteps sounded outside the door, accompanied by a clicking patter. The doorknob rattled, then a heavy knock shook the door. They gotta look you over, Chip whispered. Nosy damn sweaties. Unlock it, Chip, the chef opened the door. Come in, damn you, he said. A tall and grotesque creature minced into the room, tiny, hoof-like feet tapping on the floor. A flaring metal helmet shaded the deep-set compound eyes, and a loose mantle flapped around the knobbed knees. Behind the alien, the captain hovered nervously. "'Your puppies!' the alien rasped. "'Who's your friend, Captain?' Retief said. "'Never mind. Just do like he tells you.' "'Your puppies!' the alien said again. Okay, Retief said, I've seen it. You can take it away now. Don't horse around, the captain said. This fellow can get mean. The alien brought two tiny arms out from the concealment of the mantle, clicked toothed pincers under Retief's nose. Quick, soft one. Captain, tell your friend to keep its distance. It looks brittle and I'm tempted to test it. Don't start anything with score. He can clip through steel with those snappers. Last chance, Retief said. Scar stood poised, open pincers an inch from Retief's eyes. Show him your papers, you damned fool, the captain said hoarsely. I got no control over Scar. The alien clicked both pincers with a sharp report, and in the same instant Retief half turned to the left, leaned away from the alien, and drove his right foot against the slender leg above the bulbous knee joint. Scar screeched and floundered, greenish fluid splattering from the burst joint. I told you he was brittle, Wheatie said. Next time you invite pirates aboard, don't bother to call. Jesus, what did you do? They'll kill us, the captain gasped, staring at the figure flopping on the floor. Cart poor score back to his boat, Wheatie said. Tell him to pass the word. No more illegal entry and search of terrestrial vessels in terrestrial space. Hey, Chip said. He's quick kicking. The captain bent over score, gingerly rolled him over. He leaned close and sniffed. 
He's dead, the captain stared at Retief. We're all dead men, he said. These Soweti got no mercy. They won't need it. Tell them to sheer off. The fun is over. They got no more emotions than a blue crab. You bluff easily, Captain. Show a few guns as you hand the body back. We know their secret now. What secret? I... Don't be no dumber than you got to, Cam, Chip said. Sweaties die easy. That's a secret. Maybe you got a point, the captain said, looking at Retief. All they got's a three-man scout. Could work. He went out, came back with two crewmen. They hauled the dead alien gingerly into the hall. Maybe I can run a bluff on the Soweti, the captain said, looking back from the door. But I'll be back to see you later. You don't scare us, Captain, Chip said. Him and Mr. Tony and all his goons. You hit them where they live that time. They're pals of these sweaties. One of some kind of crooked racket. You better take the captain's advice, Chip. There's no point in your getting involved in my problems. They'd have killed you before now, mister. If they had any guts. That's where we got it over these monkeys. They got no guts. They act scared, Chip. Scared men are killers. Don't scare me none. Chip picked up the tray. I'll scout around a little and see what's going on. If the sweaties figure to do anything about that score, fella, they'll have to move fast. They won't try nothing close to port. Don't worry, Chip. I've reason to be pretty sure they won't do anything to attract a lot of attention in this sector just now. Chip looked at Retief. You ain't no tourist, mister. I know that much. You didn't come out here for fun, did you? That, Retief said, would be a hard one to answer. To be concluded.